Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for November 7th, 2017. 10-game uh, slate, but it doesn't it doesn't really seem as big as 10 games. Like, obviously, it's 10 games, so it feels like 10 games. Except there's, there's a bunch of fade spots, and there's a lot of just not good spots. So I think that we could really narrow it down and make the player pool much smaller than it would usually be for a 10-game slate. And something I'd be pretty comfortable with for these games. So the first game, the man I have to talk about on the slate, is the Dallas Mavericks at the Washington Wizards. And there's no Vegas line for this game right now because John Wall still is this questionable for this game with shoulder injury that caused him to miss Sunday's game. So for Dallas, I don't think there's anybody who's really super interesting. I think Dennis Smith Jr. at 5,200. He benefits a little bit from John Wall being out, so if Wall doesn't play, I think he's a pretty interesting play going up against Tim Frazier. There's nobody else who I really look at as a strong play. And then from the Wizards' side of the game, this is just really contingent on is Wall going to play or not. Like, if Wall plays and he's totally unrestricted, I think that he's a decent play. If he's out, though, Bradley Beal's really been priced up at 8300 I thought he was a really good play on Sunday at 7700 with the usage boost he gets with Wall out. Uh, Bradley Beal, 1.02 DraftKings points per minute uh, in total. But then when Wall's off the court, he's at 1.14 points per minute. So it's a pretty decent boost for him if Wall doesn't play. But only up to 8300 in a pace-down game and probably pretty significant ownership. I would be fine with not using Wall and GPPs tomorrow. I didn't get Otto Porter down at 6700 is a pretty interesting play. See, on Sunday, he was priced also at 6700 and had a big game. And overall, he's been really good this year. So I think it's a little weird that with Wall questionable and Porter coming off a good game, that Porter's price hasn't gone up, but Beal's price did go up. So what do you think about the wizard situation with Wall potentially being out tomorrow, Matt? Well, I guess the reason Beal's price went up so much is probably just because he had a really good game with Wall out. I don't even know if it necessarily is DraftKings adjusting for the John Wall injury. They might have just seen Bradley Beal put up 50, I think it was 51 fantasy points, and made the adjustment for that reason just completely independent of Wall's status. Uh, if Wall plays, definitely can't use Beal. I think I'm I'm good with fading him in GPPs also. And just in general for the slate, actually, do you think that because it's a 10-game slate that's sort of functioning like a smaller slate where we only have a few games that we really like, it makes it harder to play cash games for this slate because there also there aren't a ton of players that are significantly underpriced for cheap, and usually that's what makes the difference uh, between it being a strong GPP night or a strong cash game night. For cash, usually it's better if there are some significant injuries where you have cheap guys that are inserted into the starting lineups, but it doesn't really seem like that's the case here. So do you think that this is more of a GPP kind of slate? Well, here's the thing. There's almost always going to be late scratches and injuries. Like I could almost guarantee that there's at least a couple players who are not on the injury report right now. They're going to end up being not playing tomorrow night, and it's going to open up value that we're not going to foresee at this point in time. So it's just hard to say the night before because that happens like 75% of nights in the NBA. I don't know if that's a real number. I'll, I'll be honest. I made that up. But that's that's what the eyeball to me anyway, I'd say, is that more times than not, there's going to be players who are ruled out late in the day that you never would have considered as somebody who isn't going to play in the morning. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So it could become more of a cash-oriented slate as as Tuesday progresses. But at this point, it's kind of hard to tell. Um, so then, just finishing the Wizards and Mavericks point, I agree with you on Dennis Smith Jr., but something 
to note is that when Wall doesn't play, I think the pace of Wizards games goes way down. Uh, you saw this with the game against Toronto where the Vegas line correction for Wall was only two points. Uh, the adjustment for him going from active to not playing, they only they only moved the line two points for Wall, but the over-under moved down five points. So Wall is actually helping the Wizards' defense, not in terms of uh, when Wall's out, not in terms of defensive efficiency. Uh, he's not a bad defender. He doesn't make the Wizards better on a per-possession basis uh, by being out. But because there are less possessions in the game, the Wizards are likely to give up less points, too, when Wall doesn't play, while also obviously scoring less points with Wall out of the game because Wall is so good offensively. Uh, so it's just a slower game, and I think it actually hurts. Maybe not Dennis Smith because he's going up directly against a weaker defender, but I think it hurts the entire game overall if John Wall isn't playing just because it turns into a slower game. I mean, I disagree with that just from the point that Beal averages significantly more points without Wall than he does with Wall. Yeah, well, for Beal, it's just it's it's entirely attributed to the usage. Uh, just the over the the net product of the game is less fantasy stats when Wall doesn't play. I guess Bradley Beal is definitely the exception there, and obviously Tim Frazier would be the exception because he's taking yeah, Wall's and minutes. and uh, and Otto Porter and Otto Porter, right? So. It, even though the, the overall game is less, there are still some players that benefit. It's, I'm not saying that every player is negatively impacted, but the game as a whole is negatively impacted. Yeah, I understand uh, where you're coming from. So uh, I think I agree with that from the point of guys like Harrison Barnes or Wes Matthews. Like Those are the guys who you would expect to produce less. And Marcin Gortat for sure, too. Um, it's yeah, harder for him to get the ball without Wall there. Definitely. Yeah, Gortat and Wall run a really good pick and roll together. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would guess that they're two of the higher correlated players in the NBA just because so many of Gortat's buckets are assisted by John Wall. Yeah, so that's a, that's an easy fade if Wall doesn't play, but I think that most of the game is an easy fade anyway. Well, this was a big waste of time if John Wall does play now. <laughs> so the, the next game on the slate, the Milwaukee Bucks at the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'll start with this. Giannis priced all the way down at 10800 as of right now, is probably my favorite player on the slate. This is just a huge price drop for him. He was at what was he was in the twelve thousands before. It might have just been at twelve thousand. Might not have been. He got as high as twelve thousand five hundred against the Thunder, who are the second best defensive team in the NBA by defensive efficiency. So after his huge run of sixty plus point fantasy games to start the season, Giannis played the Thunder and scored. 43 fantasy points, also got into foul trouble. Then he played at Charlotte, scored 45 fantasy points, got into foul trouble, and then just played a slow-paced game against the Pistons and scored 47 fantasy points. Like, if his floor is somewhere around 45 fantasy points, that's not even a bad outcome at 10,800, and then obviously his ceiling is 60-plus fantasy points. I just think this is too cheap for Giannis, and this is also a really good spot for him. The Cavs are awful on defense. Yeah, the Cavs, I think, are still last in the NBA in defensive efficiency. Uh, one Vegas indicator that's already supporting the Milwaukee, well, actually both sides of the game. The total has gone up from 217.5 to 220 already. The public is heavy Cleveland here. Uh, actually, not that heavy, but slightly towards Cleveland. It's 60% of the bets so far. Uh, but there's a boost to both teams relative to what the opening Vegas line was. I think it was just mispriced a little bit and... It might be that these teams play a little bit faster than uh, the Vegas line or whoever was setting it realized, but it's also the Cavs' poor defense. So I think that this is a better spot for Milwaukee than Cleveland based on the matchup. 
and Giannis is definitely, I think, someone worth paying up for. Giannis versus LeBron, though, I think that's sort of a tough decision. But I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna lean Giannis just because he's cheaper, and LeBron is probably going to be higher owned because I think it was his not his most recent game, but he had that 90 plus point game just a few days ago, and I think his ownership probably will stay high as a result of that. So you can probably get Giannis for slightly lower owned uh, for cheaper and maybe ex- higher expected production. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would agree with that. The player who I do like on the Cavs boat exclusively be a GPP play is Kevin Love. So Love left last game with an illness, and I'm just going to assume that's going to scare a lot of people off of him. And the other thing also is that Tyron Lue, I don't know what he's doing with Kevin Love because this Cavs team is not good. They don't have a lot of talent. They have Love and LeBron are their two players who are significantly better than everybody else on the team. Uh, and Derek Rose, according to a few people on Twitter, but they're wrong. Uh, but Kevin Love is at 7,500. He has a lot of upside. He's had he's already had a handful of 40-plus point fantasy games. There's just weird games sometimes where, for whatever reason, Tyron Lue decides, all right, Kevin Love is playing 25 minutes this game. And that's always a possibility, so you run into that risk. But his – oh, he only played 20 – I was wondering if maybe they played him more minutes against the Bucks the last time they played him earlier in the season. But he only played 27 minutes in that game. He did have a lot of fantasy points. I, I think this is a good spot for Love with upside, which should be reduced ownership. It's just too risky for cash games. Yeah, definitely. I think Kevin Love kind of is always a GPP-only play, at least at this stage of the season. Uh, so I'm with you there. This game is hard to stack, though, but I think it might be worth trying to make – LeBron like stacks without LeBron where you use Giannis and maybe Malcolm Brogdon and Kevin Love and then it's sort of a mini stack because these players are they cost too much to stack the full game yeah and then I mean even the other guys like Derek Rose is really cheap but he's on a minutes restriction now which they say it's due to injury but it's really due to performance like he <laughs> just hasn't been good this year so it is a tough game to stack but it does have some individual players I like so the next game on the slate, the New Orleans Pelicans at the Indiana Pacers. So here we have a situation where DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis have both been really good this year, but they're really expensive, 11500 11200 So even though I do expect there to be some value come tomorrow, there isn't a ton of value at this point in time. And I would just rather use Giannis for a cheaper price than either Cousins or Davis. And then, let's see. Drew Holiday at 6,700. I think he's usable, but it's not like a super strong play for me. And then from the Pacers side of the game, we right now we have DeMontis Sabonis is currently questionable to play with a calf injury. If he isn't able to play, Miles Turner at 7,100 and Thaddeus Young at 5,700 are both going to have to play a ton of minutes because the Pacers do not have a lot of depth in the front court. Obviously, they're going up against the Davis Boogies side, the, uh, the size of the Pelicans front court. So the only way that the Pacers are going to be able to match up with them is they're just going to have to play Miles Turner and Thaddeus Young, probably 35-plus minutes each. And then Al Jefferson's going to have to play a couple extra minutes off the bench, but that's not really a great situation for the Pacers to have to play a ton of Al Jefferson. And generally, they don't like to play more than like 20 or so minutes anyway. So I think this is a really strong spot for Miles Turner, who's at 7,100 after starting the season all the way at 7,800. Yeah, I think the best player from the Pacers to find value in if Sabonis doesn't play is probably Thaddeus Young. 
because um, I, I don't think that Turner can really get too many more minutes as a result of Sabonis not playing. Um, it's kind of just speculation because I both think I think we're both kind of concerned that Turner will have some minutes restriction. But with Sabonis out, I don't think it's going to be the case that Turner just ends up playing 40 minutes or something. Um, but Thaddeus Young could. There's no real restriction on his minutes. So I like both guys. Uh, if I'm choosing one from the game, it's Thaddeus Young. But there's no reason why you can't use both of them in the same lineup, especially if Sabonis is out. Uh, and then overall, there's just it's going to be hard to use too many players from this game. Because, yeah, Davis and Cousins are really expensive. And there are some slates where you can fit in two players that cost 1100 or so each. But we don't have the cheap value plays for this particular set of games. So that's just not really realistic. And Giannis is just a better choice than Davis and Cousins. So I think just zero exposure to both of those guys. So the next game, which I'm really excited about, because this is Chicago at Toronto. There's not a lot of there's not a lot to see from DFS purpose, but we have Bobby Portis back. So Lori Markinen, be careful. Show up to practice in headgear. <laughs> Don't eat anything that Bobby Portis gives you. Because Bobby Portis wants his starting power forward job. He's already taken out Nikola Miritich. It's so ridiculous that Portis is able to play before Miritich is because Miritich is out because Bobby Portis punched him in the face. So the idea that Portis comes back before Miritich from his... Like, his suspension should have just lasted as long as Miritich was out for. But instead, the Bulls are saying, okay, well, the way that we're going to deal with this situation is Bobby Portis plays and we trade Miritich because he tried to break Bobby Portis's uh, fist with his nose, I guess. So for that reason, Miritich seems like he's on the outs in Chicago. And then it's hard to know how Portis is going to affect this rotation i like hoiberg is a total moron i wouldn't be surprised if he just starts portis over markinen even though markinen's been their best player this year he was their first round pick it's also a brutal matchup for them this is a really slow paced game so i'm out on them from the toronto side of the game there's enough risk of blowout that i not i don't think anybody's cash game playable but demar Derozan and kyle lowry are both cheap enough that i think they make for decent gpp options well i think that the public may be under valuing the blowout risk here just looking at the betting information the public is on the bulls side of this game the raptors looked pretty bad in their most recent game against the wizards uh they lost at home by i think double digits without john wall playing they did lose kyle lowry to an ejection early in the game but if you just looked at the score quickly you may not have realized that lowry not playing probably was the big reason why they lost and i actually think they the raptors were down double digits even before lowry got ejected anyway it was a bad start to the game for them and the bulls uh just blew out the magic on the road they had one other i think they either beat the pelicans or played them close in the game after that so there's some recency bias here that favors the bulls and is anti-toronto and maybe there are some people who see portis returning as a positive for the bulls but I think you're you're alluding to the idea that it's definitely not a positive for the Bulls to have Bobby Portis back. No, because he's bad at basketball. <laughs> so the yeah the uh, the public I don't think is expecting much of a blowout here. The lines moved from eleven and a half down to eleven, with sixty four percent of the bets actually coming on the Chicago side, and some significant portion of money line bets on Chicago too. Uh, and I do think this is a really good opportunity for Toronto to blow out the Bulls. You had said before we started recording that you thought this line looked too low. I think it looks too low also, and it makes sense that it would be lower than it should be because uh, the public is siding with the Bulls, as I was saying. So 
I think it's easy to fade this game in GPPs just because I don't think you're getting the low ownership that you usually get in games where there's perceived blowout risk because there just isn't a lot of perceived blowout risk here. And I do think that there is actually a lot of blowout risk. So I probably won't roster any player from either side. Yeah, there wouldn't be anybody who I'm heavy on. I just think that there's upside in Lowry, especially Lowry, who was priced around 8500 for most of last season, is all the way down to 7200 One thing that I, I don't have any way to confirm this, but just kind of eyeballing the prices from the last week, it seems like DraftKings is really pricing in blowout risk into some of these guys now. Because there have been some games where teams are massive favorites, and they'll just have guys way priced down what they normally are, and that's the situation with Lowry for tomorrow. It could also have something to do with not a lot of point output, which happens when you get ejected early in a game. And then there's a team later we'll get to also that I think is a little too cheap for their matchup. But the next game is the Charlotte Hornets at the New York Knicks. Uh, so we have Kristaps Porzingis, who's easily the best player in the NBA now. And the Hornets, I don't think there's anybody who's like crazy value here. But I think Kemba Walker, Dwight Howard, and Jeremy Lamb are all at least somewhat interesting in play. And then from the Knicks side of the game, Porzingis, his price has gone up, but he's just been so good this year, and the usage rating is so high. So Porzingis is at 9,400. But if you look at his recent games, uh, 64 fantasy points, 53 fantasy points, 30 fantasy points, but that was in a blowout, then 55, 54, 49.75. And a lot of that's because the usage is just ridiculous. Third highest usage rate in the league this year. And it's only James Harden and D'Angelo Russell are above him. So uh, Porzingis at 9,400, I still think he's usable to pay up for. I prefer to use Giannis, but I think Porzingis is in play. Uh, Tim Hardaway is still in play for me at 6,100. I think he's going to be a 7,000-plus player in the next month or so. Like I just think he's going to keep going up. And then something to keep an eye on, Frank Nielakina closed out the next last game. He's priced at 3,800. I think that... Neil Akeen is probably going to end up being the Knicks starter at some point in the near future. I don't know when that is, except it could be as early as this slate of games just because he played the fourth quarter minutes last game. He played the crunch time minutes. The Knicks are obviously not expected to be a competitive team this year. They're playing for the future. Neil Akeena was their first-round pick. I, I think that we could see him as the starter as soon as tonight. Well, if Neil Akeena is starting, then that's my favorite player from this game. I do think Porzingis is usable, but just in terms of lineup construction— it's not going to work to fit him in with Giannis most likely because we don't have those cheaper guys to fit into lineups to save salary and use a few expensive players. So I just don't think it's going to work in terms of roster construction to get Porzingis into lineups that already have Giannis. And I definitely prefer Giannis also. So I'll be light on Porzingis if even if I even have any exposure to him. But the usage is insane. He has a usage rate of well over 30% this year which I think you would say was third in the NBA. So that volume of shots and just having the ball in his hands a lot, it it's making for a ton of fantasy upside, but also a high floor. I think Porzingis in cash games is probably the better play uh, because he should have a pretty high GPP ownership given how good he's been lately. So I would, I would lean more towards Porzingis for cash games, not GPPs, just because he should be fairly high owned and that's just not a concern for playing cash. Um, but overall, there are, there are probably games that are just better than this from a stacking standpoint. Uh, the total for this game is only 209.5. No players that are really that cheap except maybe Neil Aquina. So I'm probably avoiding this for the most part except for maybe plugging these guys into a few lineups. So the next game we have is 
Uh, a game where we do have value already, that is the Clippers at the Spurs. Even though the Spurs are a really good defensive team, there is some value on the Clippers because Danilo Gallinari has a uh, hip contusion, is the injury. He's doubtful to play, expected to be out for tomorrow. So Wes Johnson played almost the entire game with Gallinari out last time. He played uh, 33 minutes against the Heat, and Johnson usually only plays minutes like in the 10 to 15 range. So at 3,400, if he's going to play like 35 to 40 minutes, which is definitely possible, it, he's a very safe pick to play off, to uh, pay off his salary and hit value. Even in a tough matchup, he just does not have to produce much in that amount of minutes to pay off a 3,400 price tag. And the other one, Lou Williams at 5,000. He played a season-high 30 minutes in the last game, and that was due to the Gallinari injury. He's somebody who really, for most of his career, has scored slightly over a fantasy point per minute. So even in a negative matchup, if we're going to downgrade him and say he's a point-per-minute player, in 30 minutes, that's still somewhere around 30 fantasy points, which is a definite good result for somebody who's priced at 5000 And then from the Spurs side of the game, uh, the one player who I think is a decent play is Patty Mills has been starting and playing minutes like in the 26 to 28 range. He's still under 4000 So I think Patty Mills is a pretty solid punt play. Yeah, I agree with that, and I'm not really concerned at all for the matchup with Wes Johnson because he's such a low-usage player anyway that he probably is kind of matchup independent where since he not, he's not really getting his points from scoring and from assists, it's all usually rebounds, defensive stats, just picking up volume of stats just from being on the court for a lot of time. Uh, at that cheap price, I don't think that you really need him to score that much at all to be a decent play. So the fact that the Spurs are good at defense probably isn't going to be a big deal. I don't think it hurts Wes Johnson that much. Definitely like Lou Williams. Patty Mills is someone that I've used a ton of lately since he's been starting. Uh, so those three guys definitely, uh, I don't think there's really any opportunity to stack this game. Total is only at 201. Uh, the better players for both teams are fairly expensive. So just probably those, those three guys. So the next game, this is what I was talking about earlier about some games with blowout risk where the players get priced down. The Brooklyn Nets are playing at the Denver Nuggets. So the Nuggets have the best matchup possible on the slate. The, the Nets are also second half of a back-to-back road game. Just the question is, will the Nets be able to keep this competitive? If the Nets stay in this game and the Nuggets starters are in through the fourth quarter, like there's no doubt in my mind that there's going to be at least like one or two Nuggets players who want a GPP-winning lineup. Because the matchup is just so good, and the Nuggets players are way priced down for what I think has to be blowout risk, because I don't think there's any other reason they would be cheaper than normal for this matchup. For the Nets side of the game, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson left the game tonight with an injury. So if he isn't able to play, it could be more minutes for Levert, more minutes for Carroll. Uh, Crab could end up starting again. He's at 4,300. It's just kind of hard to say right now. Well, it's hard to say what the Nets rotation is going to be anyway, because the way they spread the minutes so thin. And then a bunch of guys got into foul trouble in tonight's game uh, against the Suns. So you can't really look at that minutes, at, at the minutes work for the games against the Suns with Hollis Jefferson missing half the game and say this is what it's going to be. Because Levert picked up some fouls really quickly, and so did Alan Crabb. But those are both guys who I think should play pretty decent minutes at 46 and 4,300. I think that they are in play. And then from the Denver side of the game, um, Jokic is all the way down to 8,500. Millsap is 6,800. I know Millsap had a bad game, uh, the Nuggets' last game, but he scored over 50 fantasy points the game before. There's a ton of upside in him at 6,800, especially against the Nets. 
And then we've got Jamal Murray at 5,400. Uh, he's probably my least favorite of any of their starters. And then Gary Harris at 5,200, I think, is a really strong play. So Jokic, Millsap, and Harris are my three favorite plays from the Nuggets side of the game. And overall, these are really strong GPP targets. There's just the the risk of the blowout. So how, how likely do you think a blowout is, Matt? I think it's somewhat likely. Um, and blowout is a pretty vague term that we use a lot because we don't really have a defined point margin that we call a blowout. And it also, it's not really relevant how much the team ultimately ends up winning by. It matters how close the game is when there's, let's say, somewhere between four and ten minutes left. It really varies a lot team to team and game to game. Um, So it's kind of hard to assign a probability to something that we can't even really define exactly what it is. Uh, So the, the risk of the Nuggets not having their starters in for a large stretch of the fourth quarter, I think, is substantial. I'll say less than 50% by a lot, but, you know, it's not zero, and it's probably higher than most of the games on the slate. I do think there's more blowout risk for the Raptors than there is for the Nuggets, Um, but that does go up if Rondé Hollis-Jefferson sits. So although it creates more individual player value if Hollis-Jefferson's out, it does make the game more likely to get out of hand. Uh, So I guess the game becomes more GPP viable if Hollis Jefferson sits because there's more variance in it. There's more chance the players aren't in in the fourth quarter. But if the game is close under those circumstances, then the Nets have much cheaper players that'll be in the game. Uh, The Nuggets match up better probably with the Nets defense where they can score easier because Hollis Jefferson is, I think, one of the Nets best defenders, if not the best uh, they don't. They don't really have anyone who's good at defense, so it's not really saying much. But it could become an even worse defensive team. I think the the move here is to stack the game for GPPs. I don't think that there's anyone who's really usable in cash. Maybe Gary Harris because he's probably the most likely of any of the core Nuggets players to be in for garbage time. Uh, not Jokic and Millsap. I guess Jamal Murray maybe. And. From the net side, I guess I'd, I'd maybe use Karis LeVert as a cash player if Hollis Jefferson is out, but there's there's risk with the Nets always with their minutes, so I think it's a it's a stackable game that I wouldn't really use unless you're stacking it. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think it's still tough to stack any Nets game just because the minutes are so spread out, but definitely the Nuggets, really strong GPP plays. The next game on the slate is the Sixers at the Jazz. Joel Embiid is supposed to miss the game. Uh, well, actually, he's definitely missing the game. He's being rested. And just playing in Utah, that's an automatic fade for me. And then from the Utah side of the game, I think Rudy Gobert is somewhat interesting playing against a Joel Embiid-less front court. But still 7900 I think that's a lot to pay for him for Gobert, given that he hasn't really performed that well this year. I don't really have a ton of interest in this game as a whole, but I do think that Gobert is worth a few shares of in GPT. Yeah, and if you're going to use Gobert, as always, it makes sense to use Ricky Rubio. And I think Rubio is reasonably priced at 6900 um, It's not much of a direct boost to him that Embiid isn't out, because Rubio obviously isn't guarded by Embiid. Uh, Rubio doesn't do much scoring at the rim. He doesn't really do much scoring at all. So... That kind of just helps the entire Jazz offense, and Rubio may end up picking up more assists as a result of that. Um, So I think the Rubio-Gobert combination is still viable. Gobert obviously gets the big boost from being guarded by a worse interior defender, whoever the Sixers have on him. Uh, But I do agree with you that there are better spots. I think this is is a combination to have some exposure to, and it also kind of hurts that 
the Sixers are not, this isn't really a stackable spot for the Sixers. It's a, it's a huge negative matchup playing in Utah. And they may not even have suppressed ownership because James Harden had one of the best games of his career against the Jazz just a couple days ago. Uh, so I don't think that we're going to get the Sixers at reduced ownership, especially not Ben Simmons, who's always high-owned. I don't think because they're playing the Jazz that you'll get them uh, as a contrarian pick. So this game probably is a complete fade, but I do think you can use some Rubio and Gobert combinations. Yeah, and, well, actually, the, the last few games, really none of them do I have a lot of interest in. We have the Oklahoma City Thunder at Sacramento Kings, and Paul George, has, his fantasy value has kind of been killed a little bit this year by Westbrook. I think he's cheap enough that maybe you could use him in a GPP. Westbrook at 10700 I think, is okay. I would much prefer to use Giannis for about the same price. And the other issue is not only is this a down pace game for the Thunder— but there's also some blowout risk. The Kings have been really bad this year. The spread is at 10 points. And the Kings, when they've played bad, like they've lost a few games already by like 20-plus points where starters have been out like late third quarter and not played at all in the fourth quarter. So there's that risk with this game. And then the last game on the slate is another one that I just don't have interest in, and that's Grizzlies at Trailblazers. Tyreek Evans has been really good the last few games. But I just think his price has gone up, and he's going to be too high-owned in GPPs, I think, to consider using at a 6200 price tag. So I don't think I'm going to have much exposure to either of those games. What do you think about them? So I think there's one player worth mentioning from the games that you just said, and that's Nurkic at 6400 Because even though it's a really bad matchup against Marcus Sol, it seems like Nurkic is just really matchup independent. He's had duds in really easy matchups. He's played—I think his best game of the season was against Rudy Gobert— and Nurkic is a really, really high-variance player because he gets into foul trouble a lot. Um, that's probably the main reason. His minutes just fluctuate a lot because of fouls. So it might be tough with him guarding Marcus Soule, but I think there's a ton of upside for him in any game just because of how good he is and how much he can produce for a pretty cheap price. He's, he's a lot cheaper than, I think, any of the other comparable centers that we've suggested so do you think Nurkic is usable against Gasol just because he's not expensive and he figures to have almost no ownership? I think that logic makes some sense for a GPP. Uh, well, Nurkic just, isn't usable for cash in any matchup. Yeah, I think. anyway. At this, at this point, I'm definitely, definitely off Nurkic as a cash player in general. Um, let's see. So he's at 6400 and he's been priced at... And he does. He's also had three monster games in a row, so it helps. Still in those games, five fouls, five fouls, four fouls. And then he game with two fouls and four, five, four fouls, five fouls. The game before, he's definitely a risk to get in foul trouble. There's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, I, I think he's going to get not a lot of ownership because of the matchup. But I do agree with you that there's some upside there in GPPs. I think there's other centers I like more than him, but I, I wouldn't totally rule him out of play. I think he made a good point. So yeah, the other guys, I mean, there's, there's a ton of centers. I think we ran into this difficulty with lineup construction actually a couple times last week where Gobert and Miles Turner and Nurkic and uh, Jokic also only has center eligibility. There's a lot of guys that we're considering using who only have center eligibility. So maybe Nurkic just, this isn't the time to make the contrarian pick just because you can't fit him with a lot of the other guys we've mentioned. But he's someone I'm going to have at least a little bit of exposure to. 
Yeah, no, that's fair. I don't, I don't hate that pick at all. So that'll finish today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter at GAaronBergDFS, and Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back tomorrow.